In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So today our third time to speak about tradition again. And I would like just to show this diagram first to see why tradition is very essential in understanding any case in the church. So we will go in details of each case, but we just have this general view. From the beginning, as you can see here, one holy tradition. The vertical axis is a change to the tradition. So the more or anyone is inventing a change, a change there is a scale, more schism. The horizontal axis is just time. So from 33 or 29, from the uh, death, resurrection, ascension of the Lord to the beginning of the church, till 451, it was one tradition and one church. I made this line, which is the time, and also it's the Oriental Orthodox churches, and this one is the Eastern Orthodox churches. So, by 1054, as we said last time, it was the Great Schism, in which the church was having this big split. became Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox. Later, in 1517, we had the Protestant Church or the Reformation, and out of it, of course, thousands of churches now. In the Roman Catholic, again, in 1529, in some other books, we find 1538, the Church of England again went out of the uh, Catholic Church. This is in brief what happened. So we'll go in details in each one of them and to see what happened exactly. So I'll go through them all in a yeah, few minutes each one and please in the discussion we agreed we are, I'm going to talk only for half an hour and then we can discuss as much as we can. Yes. I know. I would try. <laughs> okay. So one of the first heresies or the first schism in the church was mainly because of the Holy Trinity. And the church was very concerned at the very early age of it to defend the Holy Trinity. Because if we fail to defend the Holy Trinity, we fail in everything else. I know sometimes the, the dogma or the doctrine of the Holy Trinity is not emphasized in our teaching, in our preaching, but we'll see in a few minutes or maybe next time how without teaching the Holy Trinity we are nearly away from the Orthodox Church or even from any Christian faith. One of the earliest heresies was Gnosticism. We spoke about it last time or two weeks ago and I'm not going to elaborate more unless you have questions in, at the very end and how the second century and the third century and half nearly of the four, fourth century were defending against it. The most famous book of St. Irenaeus against Therese, the four, four books were only against Gnosticism. And again Gnosticism, some people can see it is non-Trinitarian or against the Trinity because it denies the full humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the early heresies, it has appeared many times later in different forms, adoptionism. 
that Christ is just a mere man and the Heavenly Father adopted him. Started uh, in, or ended up first time in, in 199 by Pope Victor I, the Pope of Rome, but reappeared many times later in the history. Arianism, as we'll see in a, in a minute, it's the same thing that Christ is a mere man and the Heavenly Father has adopted him to be his son. But he is a man who was adopted to be the Son of God. Uh, the Church, of course, refuted this in the, in, the, in the new time by Pope Victor I. Later, when Arius invented the same idea, the Church defeated him in the Council of Nicaea in 325. Abronarius, <coughs> from 310 to 390, his heresy was mainly. And this is again very important. By the way, every one of them still relevant to today, still available, and sometimes it's, it's mixed with some of the teaching of some churches or some preachers. So, for example, Abronarius. Abronarius denied the full humanity of Christ. So he said Christ was has a flesh that has no spirit or soul. The divinity replaced his soul and his spirit. And he was uh, refuted many times and was even excommunicated in many uh, councils. The last one was the Council of Constantinople 381. But the whole idea why the church was defeating this heresy in particular in such a way. Something more than that, when Abunais was trying to say that Christ has no spirit or has no soul, he has his divinity replaced them. The church was very keen, again, as I said last time, we are defending our own salvation. We are not here to argue against a heresy. So if Christ has no human soul, it means my human soul is not saved. It's a very fam famous quote by Saint... Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm really sorry. Saint Gregory, the theologian, in his letter number 101, to his disciple Caldonius, was telling him what is not assumed is not healed. Based on if Christ has no human soul, then my human soul is not saved. Can you tell me where we can find this in the liturgy to defend or to refute Abronaris? Where in the uh, liturgy of Saint Basil we can find some something or few words to refute this? Yes. The creed. What else? Was incarnate. Yes. Why? Was incarnate. He took a flesh. Became man. It means he has full humanity, body, soul, and spirit. So sometimes people feel it's just the church is repeating the word. Incarnate and became man looks the same, but it's not the same. The church put this in particular to refute Abrinaris who denied that Christ has a human soul and human spirit. And became man. Yes. No. Incarnate, he took a flesh. Even the word Abetri Sarex in, in, in Coptic, he took flesh. So he can. Abrinaris didn't deny that he has flesh. But he denied that he's a full man, flesh, soul, and spirit. Arius, 
was saying the same thing of adoptions, he, he denied again once more the divinity of Christ. And again, when we say that we are defending our own salvation, because if Christ is not divine, then I am not saved at all. The church was refuting what Arius said based on what we have. But here again, back to the word tradition. Why the church was against him, or why the at least sent attention? Because one at one point the whole world was nearly to be uh, following the teaching of Arius. Because again, we have one holy tradition holding for us that Christ is full God for man. Have right a lot of of church fathers from the first, second, third century confirming that Christ was full divi- fully divine and fully human. So always we are comparing anything new based on what we have. Remember what we said about St. Francis of Lourdes? It was always everywhere by everyone taught in the church. We'll see in a few minutes how even St. John Cassian was refuting St. Augustine by the one holy tradition. Despite St. Augustine was very proud at one point with the one holy tradition. So again, Arianism. In the Council of Nicaea 325, St. Athanasius refuted all what he has said. And again, the word even heresy is from a Greek word, hereo. Hereo means to pick up or to choose. I'm choosing a verse, Christ said, my father is greater than I. Then it's clear. As we said, we can't understand a verse outside the church teaching, outside the church mind, and not within the tradition of the church. We spoke on the first week and we said that the scriptures were written in the church by the church, guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit and also understood in the church. So we can't take them away from the church. Of course, it was a big debate for years and even after the death of Arius, the death of St. Athanasius, many were still followers of Arius. But again, just a briefing what happened on that time. Macedonianism is one of the biggest heresies against the Holy Spirit. Again, he was a follower of semi-Arianism. Some people later were not full followers of Arius. He said they are semi-Arianism. They said, yes, Christ was not equal to the Father, but similar to the Father. So they were halfway between the true faith and Arianism. That's why they call them semi-Aryans. He was originally semi-Aryan, and then later he said, again, the Holy Spirit is not a God. He's actually a creature as well. Again, the church convened the Second Ecumenical Council, 381 in Constantinople, and refuted what he has said, based on many other verses. He had only few verses to refute, or to present, and the church refuted all what he has done, and again, he was asked to repent, and he refused. Later, or not later, we'll stop at this one because it affected and out of it branched many other heresies. Uh, Donatism, it was end of 4th century, beginning of the 5th century, and it was mainly in North, Northern Africa, and he was trying to say that every sacrament in the church, everything of it in the church is based on the holiness and the life of the officiator, if he is a priest or a bishop. So they were very 
even it was wars because of their belief because they believe anyone even if he performed a baptism it is not valid if he is not living a holy life at that time many of the bishops or some of them were leaving their faith or renounced their faith because of the persecution then they came back again the church accepted them but they believe that every single thing they have done is not valid so the war, real war started to be there so they denied everything here I can share with you two, two terms used by the Catholic Church but we agree on them one of them is ex obera operato second one ex obera operandis ex obera operato it means without any personal merit from the officiator if this priest or this bishop is the most sinful person in the world still the sacrament is going to be fulfilled the other one ex obera operantis it is not magic it's mystical if I'm not repenting as a recipient of the sacrament I will not get the benefit out of it yes I am really baptized but the power of baptism, the power of regeneration is not working on me because I am not a believer. I am not working towards what I am receiving. So, the church also refuted this heresy. Yes. The church refuted this heresy in due time, but there was some consequences of this. We will go back to it in a few minutes. Believe it or not, this uh, St. Augustine was one who were refusing, or one of the major church fathers at that time, to refute this heresy of Donatism. But at the same time, while we are doing it, we were rooting for the Reformation which is going to happen later after 10 centuries. How and why? Because at that time, the idea of validating the baptism of those people who were renouncing the faith at one point was a big issue immediately in northern Africa again a guy called Celestus started to preach that we don't need baptism from the beginning and if we need it it is not for regeneration why? because he believed that man when he's or human being when they are born they are born like Adam before the fall. So we don't need a baptism because we are born without corruptibility, without mortality. He, he was the first one, he is a disciple of course of Blagius, who later became uh, the heresy named after him, who said man can save himself by himself. Why? Because I have the list. So he summarized the whole life of Christ and all what Christ is doing in my life to give me the list of wrong and uh, right and wrong and they can make it because I am born as Adam before the fall that's why he cancelled the work of grace of God totally because he said if there is a grace the grace will give me the list if Christ was needed is to give me only the list and he saw that Adam his sin is only affected him and nothing at all could affect all the human race when he started to say this Many councils were convened, local and, 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 and ecumenical later. The first one was 412, uh, the Council of Carthage. And then St. Augustine started to answer him back. 
Because Saint Augustine, according to many of the reformers, especially Martin Luther, he is the only doctor of the church because he is a great teacher about grace. Again, he wrote a lot about grace, as I said maybe two weeks ago. The church doesn't accept many of his writings, but he was counterfeiting language at that time. The church was teaching us at that time, we have two major problems. The first one, Blagius started from a point which never heard of in the church tradition or in the church history. But many historians and even theologians were debating who started. Because some of them said St. Augustine started and Blagius was responding or vice versa. Or three both sides and then we can see how we can work on them. Some people said Augustine started first preaching is salvation. He is the first one, of course, in the church history to preach salvation is by grace alone. He is the first one in the church history to preach there is a predestination list. And because he did so, it was a life of unholiness nearly where he preached such things. Because if there is a predestination list, someone will pick me up wherever I am, then why have to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling? So, they said Blackius, he's a British monk, he tried to counterfeit this movement of unholiness. So he tries, was trying to preach, it's, you, can, you have to work your own salvation, but end up, you are doing it by your own, and you don't need God's grace at all. Some people said it's the opposite. Blackius started, that's why St. Augustine went to the very extreme of by grace alone. Whether Blackish started or or Augustine started, in the end, both of them choose two extremes. And historically, both of them were banned from the church, but as I said maybe before, St. Augustine was not excommunicated as a person. The church held him as a saint, until today we held him as a saint, but his teaching, some of them have been banned in due time, they are available now, but they were banned at the time by the Pope, and all the teaching of Blagius also were banned, but still everything he wrote is available as well. This was at the end of the 4th century, beginning of the 3rd. Blagius died 407, St. Augustine died 413. Same it was a trial to remarry this divorce. The leaders of, of the movement were two saints. Saint events of Learns and St. John Cassian. Again, back to the tradition, there's a very long homily by, or I think it was a letter, by St. John Cassian to say that what St. Augustine saying, what Blackwood said, is never heard of in the tradition. So let's keep our tradition and go back to this tradition once more. So everyone at the time knew very well that we have a way to measure the teaching, a way to understand what has been said is it true or not true, based on the one holy tradition. So they tried to make it more working. If St. Augustine was saying it's by grace alone, and Blackies was saying by free will and by my own deeds alone, they make it more balanced in the opposite way. Why? Because St. John Cassian, that's why if you see the translation in Arabic by Abuna Tadros, some of the correspondences or some of his writings were dropped because it's, it's pure similar likeness. 
The three plagues, it says that we are the initiators with our free will and God's grace is responding to what we have done. Which falsifies the whole teaching of the church again because now I am the initiator. It means it's not fair because some of us are more intelligent than others, some of us are more educated than others, so it depends on you. So that's why it's unfair. But the church teaching, which is a synergy or synergia, working together, it's totally the opposite. The initiation is always from God, and I'm responding actively towards His initiation. That's why He's offering His grace to every one of us equally. But my response is different from yours, and, and, and so on. So, when the church was telling us that semi-blackness was not accepted, again, both of them still stands in the church, St. Vincent of Lerns and St. John Cassian. But their teaching were banned in a council, we didn't attend this council, it was the Council of Orange, 529. And that's why when you say council, we didn't attend, but why you are yani, trying to understand what happened? Because in the end, we receive an end product. We hear people, unfortunately, in all churches, uh, different divisions, I'm not talking about our church, sometimes promoting blackness without knowing that it's blackness, or promoting Augustinism or semi-blackness. So we received the end product. Maybe I read a very nice book, and I would like to share it with someone. But in, I don't know in the, at the back of, of the mind of the author of this book, that he was believing in Pelagianism or whatever it is. So why we, we try to understand the one holy tradition and all the deviations? Because it makes me more aware of what I am reading, what I am hearing. Not to judge, but to receive the right teaching for my own self. Except those, this dilemma of the 4th and 5th century was the root of the Reformation. As I told you maybe last week or the week before, how the first thing that Martin Luther did, he read a commentary of St. Augustine on the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. And what first thing he wrote was notes on the commentary of St. Augustine on the book of Romans. So he revived all Augustinism once more. And why? If you go back to the first chart, At that time, the church here, the church, and you will find a lot of, even in the Catholic Encyclopedia, the church at the time of Reformation was preaching one thing, indulgences and nearly full blackness. You have to save yourself by paying, by torturing yourself. The grace of God was not mentioned at all, at least for three centuries from the 12th century till the end of the, or the beginning of the 16th century. So as a, to counterfeit the black genius of that time, it was the refuge for Martin Luther is to go to St. Augustine, or the teaching of St. Augustine. Later, in 1609, the Reformation, as we said last time, started 31st of October 1517, but the official date of the excommunication of Martin Luther was the 3rd of January, 1521. Later in 1609, another guy called Jacob Arminius tried to make the balance. The same what happened by St. 
John Cassia and Sam Denzel was tried once more. But here he did something quite strange, because again of the time, he was at the beginning very fanatic Calvinistic mind, but it ended up he was totally against them. Just in six years, he was a professor in, in, in Holland in 1603, in six years he converted totally against Calvinism and all the teaching of Calvin. Why? He tried to find the balance once more between free will and grace. So some people saw him doing semi or going back to semi-Pelagianism, that now the free will is working on it. Some other people saw him going back to synergy. So let me discuss both of them and to see again when we read any writings, what is the difference between both of them from the 16th century onward. It's different from what has been discussed in the 4th and 5th century. If you read now any book by any reformed theologian or Catholic theologian, when he's saying that, for example, the Orthodox are semi-Blagians, no. Once now they see that the free will is working or cooperating, either initiating or responding, which is the difference between semi-Blagianism and synergy, they call it semi-Blagianism. We are not semi-Blagianism. But in the same time, those who can see why they saw Jacob Arminius, he was excommunicated by both, by Catholic and by Protestant at that time. Why they saw him as semi-Blagianism, and some others saw him as a synergist, because he tried to say still the grace is initiating. But because he involved the free will, was seen as semi-Blagianism. Why we are not considering him as someone promoting synergy? Because we believe synergy is through the fullness of the Eucharistic act of the Church. He has no Eucharist. So, in theory, he was promoting synergy. But in reality, it couldn't be done without the Eucharist, without the whole life of the one tradition. It's not by promoting one right idea, I can get it right. It's the whole one tradition of the Church. So, this is what happened as a root at that time. Back to what we were discussing, we were still, still here in the time of St. Augustine. Augustine, as I said, passed away or died on 430. The first schism was 451. I shared with you last time, in brief, and I can just go pass uh, through it in a minute. At that time, again back to these two parallel lines. Why is your remain parallel and now we believe by 1991 we are uniting once more. The deviation was one deviation here, which is again the nature of Christ. Was Christ two united natures in one person or one nature out of two natures? The debate was too long, but to summarize it, in the agreement signed by both churches in 1991, it was very well said in the introductory paragraph, we were misunderstanding each other. So both churches were believing the same thing. Christ has one nature out of two natures, this is our expression at the time. <coughs> the other, the Calcinian churches were using the other terminology that Christ has two united natures in one person. We were afraid at the time by emphasizing on two uh, natures that it's two persons. 
So we saw they are promoting Nestorianism once more. And they saw that we are promoting Eutychus, who said Christ has one nature, which is only divine, swallowed the human one. Then later we discovered that we are saying the same thing in different terminology. The key again was the tradition. Because they revised, they revised the liturgical books. What we pray, because as I told you maybe the first week, what we believe is what we pray, is how we are going to live. So by revising our own liturgical books, we discover that we have the same faith, same understanding, but at that time, 15 centuries ago, we were using just different terminologies. At this point, we became two barrel lines. Those ones remained faithful to what they have, and we remained faithful to what we have, was one big division, one big conflict at the time, which was resolved later. And we have another three chemical councils. We don't believe them because we attend them. <coughs> and part of the discussions and the agreement that we have to resolve the outcome of these three uh, councils to see what we can accept and what we cannot accept. Again, the risk is in 1054. Most of the schism in the church history, especially in the past, now maybe not, are political, but unfortunately covered with a religious one. Why and how? For example, this one of 451. Why they were so aggressive against the church of Alexandria? You can see it in the second ecumenical council, the council of Constantinople. Of course, we believe in the council, we attended, we agreed not in every single item in it. The third item, in the canons of the, of the council, they were saying that Constantinople should have its place above the Church of Alexandria. Why? Because now Constantinople is the second Rome. We didn't agree. Of course, it's, it's not a heresy. It's just someone trying to change history. The big four or five seats at that time was historically, it has nothing above the other. We know that Jerusalem was the first church. We know that Antioch was the second, Christians were called first in Antioch. Then they came to Alexandria and Rome, and later, after three and a half centuries, Constantinople appeared. But they were emphasizing this is second Rome, it should be above Alexandria. So many historians were studying this article in this council, which was 381. Later, it has this form of excommunicating the church or having this big division at that time. We have a very nice book. I think it's available online, if you can read it. Calcedon Reexamined by V.H. Samuel. He's an Orthodox Indian priest. So find it online if you can't. I think I might have it on a book. I can email it to you. Second one, again, there was a big fight between Rome and Constantinople in 1054. This was debated many times, and this is not the first time to hear the word filiuk. Filiuk, a Latin word meaning and the Son. Our creed, we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. 
we added another son. Some of the church fathers in the past, starting again from the 4th century, mentioned this few times, but it wasn't debatable at that time. One of them, again, is St. Augustine. One of them is St. Hay of Batier. In Book 2, on the Holy Trinity, he was mentioning that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. There was no debate at that time about this point, so no one was commenting it is right or wrong. Most of the people who wrote about or mentioned such thing, or such term, or and the Father, were defending the Holy Trinity. So the topic was not the procession of the Holy Spirit, the main topic was the unity in the Holy Trinity and how it's one Godhead and three persons. So on his book, St. Augustine, on the Holy Trinity, he mentioned this. St. Hilary of Batier mentioned it, but without any intention to create anything in the church. Later, because of the fight or the debate between the East and the West, he picked up on it and the Catholic Church announced that from now on, it is going to be proceeding from the Father and the Son. Again, we are not going to the details of the verses that you were using at the time, but by that time, both of them excommunicated each other. And they became, as we thought, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Latin or the Roman Catholic Church. So, again, what was the measuring ruler for it? The Nicene Constantinople Creed, because the church in this creed affirmed. And even they put something like anathemas or excommunications to anyone was going to add or to take off anything from the creed or from the faith of the one holy catholic and apostolic church this is my half an hour and now it's your one and a half hours thank you